Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to Vineyard Community Church as we continue on in a series we're doing called Developing a Disciple's Heart. And in this series, we're looking at um, the, the basic question that we're looking at that was, is the one that was asked Jesus, what's the most important thing in life? What's the most important commandment? His response was, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And because it was such a wonderful answer, and, and uh, uh, you know, it's a summary statement, there's, there's just a lot to it. We've decided that we would really dig in to that answer. Um, that, that practically, we've said that, that living that out as a disciple means, you know, loving God, we, we encourage you to be thankful every day, that, that we say being thankful for at least five things helps you to get in the right mindset and the focus of who God is and how much he loves you and, and that you pour out your love back on him. Encouraging at least two people a day helps us to remember to love others and how important that is. And that the kindest thing that we can do, the, the way that we can love ourselves the best is by trying to do the next right thing that these are the practical applications of what we're talking about, but that um, the reality is that as simple as that seems, it's so easy to get distracted and to get off base and to get off track and to get our issues in the way and our sin to flare up that sometimes we can't you know, stay on track of those simple things very well. So we've said that what we're working towards is um, digging even deeper and priming the pump of our disciples heart every day in such a way that we, we are, we are um, more connected through the day and more easily reconnected when we sort of go off track. And so we, we, we're working through this uh, series um, covering numerous sections, um, uh, about you know, seven sections of things that we think are important to get every day into you there in the early part of the day, um, each one revolving around some scripture. We've spent the last six or seven weeks talking about the importance of getting focused and looking at Hebrews chapter 10, 19 through 25, and, and digging into what that looks like, that we have access to the most holy place, that, that we're in Christ, and that's how God sees us, that, he, that Jesus is our great priest, and that he models for us life uh, from a throne room perspective. And we've, we've talked about uh, how valuable we, that he sees us as his treasure and his pearl, and that we're to uh, see you know, God as good, and, and always good, and only good, and have a good picture of God, and that as we, we sort to figure out how amazing it is to be there in the presence of God that, that is, we realize it's not all about us, it's some about us, but not all about us, and we're, we're to start considering how to spur other people on towards love and good deed, and how to encourage others along the way. So we've spent considerable amount of time in Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, which most of you know now is therefore, brother, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water, and let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. That's what we've spent the last big chunk of time talking about, those verses and how they apply to getting focused as we start priming the pump. We're going to move into a new section today, and uh, we're going to start talking about the importance of getting thankful, um, and, and 
how important it is to, to really make that a big part of our lives, understanding um, that, that we need to be a thankful people, um, that we're to, we're to concentrate on what we're thankful for rather than spending our time thinking about what we don't have um, and, and, and getting off track, which is what culturally generally happens. People spend the majority of their time wishing they were in a different situation or, or uh, getting themselves into an if and then, you know, or when and then, when this happens, then I'll finally experience life. When I finally get to this place, then things are going to happen. When I get that job, then everything's going to work out, and they miss life altogether because they're not thankful for what they have. They, they, they never get to enjoy it. And how, how it's such a vital part of being a disciple is understanding that that's what we need to be looking at in the process. So um, we're going to start in, uh, in this section talking about Philippians 4, uh, 4 through 8. That's the, the verses for this section. Um, before I, I do, I thought of a little, a little story I thought I would share. And, and I'll use you as a, as a bouncing board to see how many of you have actually heard this one before, if it's going to work for me on the weekend. Um, but uh, some of you know we're, we're in the middle of our special offering that we're taking up for, for the next couple of weekends. And, and uh, I was reminded of a story about a pastor who goes to his church and he says, wow, we really need some money and uh, we're going to have to take it up. And he said, this is what I'm going to do to try and make this kind of exciting for you is that whoever gives the biggest amount of money, I'm going to allow to choose three hymns that, that, uh, as sort of a reward for that. And so he takes up an offering and, and uh, he passes it in. And, and sure enough, in, incoming in the offering, there's a check for $10,000. And he's like, yes. And he's very excited and he looks at the check and he, he sees it's from this very nice quiet older lady uh, who was sitting in the back and, and he says, you know, I don't want to embarrass you, but I want to publicly thank you for, um, for what you've done and it's a great deal and I, you know, and, and why don't you come on up so everybody can say thanks and, and, uh, and so she does very timidly and, and, and he says, you know, and I'm, I meant what I said, you know, your, your reward for that is you get to choose three hymns and so she said, oh, okay, and she turned around and she faced the congregation and she said, I choose him and him and him. What do you think? Fran, is that all right? Okay. The other one is much worse. I'll save it for next week. Um, <laughs> you got something worse than that? I do, as a matter of fact. So <laughs> now you'll have to come back next week to hear it. Um, our scripture reading then is out of Philippians 4, 4 through 8. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And blessed be the word of the Lord. Those verses to me um, are, are a picture of what it looks like to be thankful, of getting us into the right focus so that we can spend our days thinking and being thankful for what we have rather than being consumed by what we don't have or what we think might happen or all sorts of other things. And, and it deals with worries and fears and getting off track and it really helps us to get um, where we need to be to stay thankful throughout the day. 
And so we're going to break it down over the next weeks and uh, look at it a verse at a time. Today we're going to concentrate on Philippians 4.4, fascinating verse. Rejoice in the Lord always, I'll say it again, rejoice. And, and that the idea is that we're to be a joy-filled people. As the people of God, we're, we're to be joyful, filled with joy. Now, I don't mean that we're supposed to run around pretending that we're happy all the time because that's really a, a, a not what that word means. To be filled with joy um, is, is not um, that, that, it, that we're happy all the time. But now that we spent all those weeks being focused uh, on who God is, what he's done for us, access to the throne room, the amazing gifts that we have, that we're his pearl and his treasure as we talked about. We should experience a measure of joy regardless of circumstances in our lives. See, the, the big difference between joy and happiness, uh, happiness, happenstance, comes from the same word uh, that we get um, circumstance from. And so happiness has a lot to do with circumstances. When your circumstances are just right, then you then you're kind of happy. Joy is not based on circumstance. Joy is something different that has to do with knowing who you are in him and that he's with you and that he's got you in the bigger picture. And so, so, because there's things that you obviously just can't be happy about. We live in a fallen world, a broken planet. There are times when there's no way we're going to be, oh, I'm really happy about that. Um, Because we're not. We're going to be broken. We're going to be devastated. All those things happen. Terrible things happen. However, in the midst of circumstances, we can have this place inside us that knows that we're still gods and that he's still got us and that he's gonna get us through each and every situation and he's got us forever. And so there's something that we can experience because of this idea that that's what kind of joy is really all about. Um, And yet, a lot of Christians uh, don't experience much joy in their lives. They kind of bought into the cultural way of looking at things and because their circumstances aren't what they want, they don't experience joy. And yet we're, we're told to be joyful, to rejoice in the Lord always. Now how do we get there? Now joy is a recurring theme throughout the book of Philippians, um, which is fascinating in, its, in, in, in all sorts of ways, but really the, most thing, the reason I'm most fascinated by the theme of joy in Philippians is that Paul wrote it while he's in prison on, on trumped up charges. So, so just right off the bat, if you need to think about how you would feel if you were in prison on bogus charges, to write a letter on joy doesn't even seem to make sense, and yet that's the circumstance that Paul is writing from. That's the circumstance. He's in prison for something that's not true, and, and it's not a good situation. All right, And he writes this amazing letter on joy throughout Philippians. And so we're going to look at some verses in Philippians chapter 3, that talk a little bit more in, in defining for us that first uh, Philippians 4, 4. And so the three points I'm going to make out of Philippians uh, chapter 3, those first 10 verses, to help us understand what it means to be joyful. First point is this, that we're to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Philippians 3, 1 through 3, Paul says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence 
in the flesh. And he goes on, and he, he talks uh, some more in those next two verses. What he's talking about is a group of people who have uh, uh, been trying to infiltrate the church, and they've been trying to um, push the law back on to um, people that have been saved by grace. And um, they're trying to do it by making the new Gentile converts um, get circumcised. Uh, but in effect, what they're saying is you basically got to become Jewish in order to be a Christian. And they're, they're trying to force the law back into the church and, and, and the freedom that the church is experiencing. And Paul's opposed to it, and he fights it at every turn. And, and he calls it a safeguard, telling them about joy. And then he goes on and he talks about what, in effect, is legalism. And one of the biggest um, reasons why so many Christians don't experience much joy is legalism creeps back into their lives. They, they come to Christ and in, 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 you know, really experience grace for a season, and then for whatever reason, these rules and regulations want to just slip back in into life. And life becomes about following rules and regulations. And, and uh, there's something about grace, I think, that even though it's a, it's a wonderful thing, we, we sometimes think, well, okay, grace is good, and, and listening to spirits all good, but just tell me what I'm supposed to do. I want rules. I want to know what's yes and no, and I'm going to live then under the yes and no. The problem is when you step out of grace and into, into a defined set like that, that's just these are the rules, you, you quickly become bitter and you lose all your joy because someone's making those rules, and who, why, why? And so all of a sudden, they put a bunch of rules on you, and you, you're like, well, I don't, I don't get it. And it, it, it's because you'll never get it, and it steals away your joy. It doesn't mean there's not things that are right and wrong. That's not what I'm saying at all, and the scripture is pretty clear about that. But we need to be led by the Spirit, not reduce things to rules. And, and uh, it was the issue with the Pharisees that, that uh, happened. We talked about this in our midweek uh, session just now because we're in the book of Galatians studying and that's really what it's all about. Galatians is about legalism trying to creep into the church. And the Pharisees, um, you could write off as evil if you, if you tried because by the time Jesus comes, they're so messed up. But they started, and I say this over and again, they started with good intent. See, they got together to protect Judaism from the Greek culture. They didn't want it to be Hellenized and run over. And so they got together, but the way that they decided they would do these things over time was add rules. And in the 200 years or so run up to Christ, they had added six or 700 rules to the 10 that we already got, which are, which are more than enough, because the, the, the 10 that God gave us initially let us know that we can't do it without a Savior, because you can't keep 10. No way you're going to keep 700. There's just no way. And, and that's why they were all so miserable. There was no way to do it. And so you end up having to pretend that you're doing it when you're really not. And it just, the whole thing becomes fake and, and no, God wasn't around and no one was meeting God and, and no one was experiencing God. And Jesus came to undo all that. And, and he does. He sets everything upside down and he breaks through and he, he satisfies the requirements at the cross that could only be satisfied by him. He's made a way for us and we've talked about that now. We're seen in Christ and so we're set back to the way it should be. And then people, they always want to come in and put rules on you. I was, oh, oh, now, well, you know, you need to tell everybody not to do this and not to do that and not to do this. And, and it's like, well, no, that, that's what the Holy Spirit does. And he's very good at it. He's way better at rules than, and I've found over my entire life, when the Spirit of God does something and changes people, it's way better than if you've just tried to put them under some rules. Now, and there's obvious, definite yes and no's in the scripture, but people look at the Bible and think it's, you know, that God's trying to be a big killjoy 
because he goes against the culture? He's not. He's trying to protect your joy. Because if, if he says don't do it, it's a, it's a loving father saying it's not good for you, don't do it. And he's not being mean or keeping you mean. Just like if you had kids and you told them don't do certain things because just everybody else was doing them, your heart was to keep them safe and to protect them. Not to keep, you know, not to not them have life, but there's a right way to do things. Well, that's, that's what we have. And so um, we need to learn to trust in that and, and not get just, you know, pulled away by um, rules and grace. Because what gets lost, uh, rules and regulations, what get lost then is the idea of grace. And without grace, there can be no joy. That's, that's all I can tell you. If, you're, if you don't have grace in your life, you will not experience joy at any level. You just won't. There has to be grace in your life to experience joy. So how do we know then? Because I said we can't write off the Pharisees. The church continually moves back into legalism. It's just, it just keeps happening. You just watch it over and over again. And all of a sudden you'll see a whole group of people start out well. And then they move into legalism. And before you know it, they're, they're not very nice people. And uh, they've, gotten, they've lost the joy that they should have. What happens is um, we start implementing rules. We start, you know, trying to live by these rules, and then we get mad at anybody who's not following them. Because if we got to do it, by golly, everybody ought to do it. And so then we start judging them, and we become in the process extremely self-righteous. And, and, and then we don't love people well anymore. And, and so as we've discussed before, true righteousness, which is about right living, always sees the beauty of people's potential. is filled with grace. And it's displayed in love. And any time the church moves away from that, we lose our joy. And so we have to be aware of the big trap, which is a trap of legalism. Secondly, we have to spend time thinking about this. What is it that you really value? What do you really value in life? Philippians 3.7. But Paul says, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. I've heard people refer to this as Paul's profit and loss statement. Okay, I thought that was funnier too, but that's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Now it's just a mercy laugh. Don't. I bet he gets a laugh tomorrow. <laughs> okay. Another reason you may not experience joy is that your priorities are upside down. We've touched on this, but we'll, we need to continue to look at it. And, and you... Uh, are your, your, you know, your focus, is it on the temporary or on the eternal? Um, are, you, are you consumed by everything right now and are you trying to you spend your life trying to fix broken things that won't be fixed or do you get that there's a bigger picture? And, and, um, and so where, where, where do you put your time? What do you really value? And you get a clue on what you really value by what you're spending your energy on and your money on and all those other things. But what do you, what do you really when it comes down to it, what's your focus? And, and, and if it's on something that's really not that big a priority, you need to change because it'll steal your joy away. Um, when you get right down to it, the only things that really last forever are our relationships with God and with other people who love God that we're in relationship with. That's, that's all that lasts forever. Everything else is temporary. Everything else. And so... Um, when other things become a priority over what really matters, we end up losing our joy. And we, we, it's very easy for us to waste significant amounts of time in the pursuit of things that don't last because we're driven by our culture instead of by what's real and what's true. And you have to think about it all the time. I have to do it all the time. Am I spending my time on what matters most? 
See, because time is the only, you can't get more time. And we have eternity, but I'm talking about this time, this temporary time. Whatever time you have now is what it is. You can't, you can't get more time. Money, you can get more money. Things, you can always get more things. Well, you can always do that stuff. But time is it. So, so when you give someone time, that's the most precious thing you have. I think about that all the time. I don't have the, the time. I can't, you can't get time back. So you're investing your time always. This is all I got. And so if, if, if I stop and give someone time, it means that it really matters. Well, wh- what are we spending our time on as far as what really matters in life? Our relationships with God and our relationships with others. Are they getting a good chunk of our time or is our time consumed in other things? I get we have to work and do all this stuff. It's all part of life. But, but we can take it too far. And so we have to be balanced. And we have to look at it all the time, what is it that we really value and are they getting, are our values and priorities getting the right amount of our time and, and, and what that looks like. As if we don't, you lose your joy again. And everybody's experienced that. You get so busy chasing after whatever that you, you, you just stop, life stops being, and because you, you, you get it, that you're not, you know, it's not connecting with you. The pursuit of something that might get better 10 years from now, you know, temporarily, is just not worth chasing. So we have to, we have to think about that. What do we really value? We've got to make sure we're not getting uh, uh, you know, legalistic or judgmental because we're going to rejoice in the Lord. And then thirdly, it's this. Um, in order to do that, you have to keep your eyes on Jesus. We have to keep our eyes on Jesus. Philippians 3.10, Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, being, becoming like him in his death. He says, I want to know Christ. That's the Apostle Paul. Writing, like I said, from prison, talking about being joyful, and he says, you know what? The, the, I just want to know Jesus more. I want to know him more in my life. And the writer of Hebrews, he, he chimes in with this in Hebrews 12 too, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Um, I, I, I think that's a, a, a neat verse. It's talking about joy, and it's talking about Jesus and, and who he is, and getting our eyes fixed on him so that we, we're more connected to him, which is what this whole thing is all about, getting our eyes fixed on him, not on all the other stuff around us, getting our eyes fixed on Jesus and, and moving the way he would have us. And, and so really that has to become sort of, uh, we're talking about priorities, the number one priority. Let's know Christ more, let's get connected, let's get you know, um, really tied into him every day um, by doing the things we're talking about, hanging out with him there in the most holy place, spending time you know, praying and reading the scripture, all the things we're gonna talk about. Um, being thankful and encouraging others, all those things, trying to do the next right thing, all those things help us to know him more and to experience the joy that we were created for, the joy-filled life that we're supposed to be experiencing. And there's something I want to leave you with in that last verse. Um, that there's a little phrase there that I, I don't know if everybody catches or what they think about it, um, that says, for the joy set before him. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who in, uh, for the joy set before him endured the cross. I don't know if you've ever thought about that much. Because um, that's one of the things I think about when we talk about being joyful, always. Um, we, we, we can observe Jesus on the events leading to the cross and know that it was not, it was a struggle. 
Time in the garden was a struggle. Everything he endured was a struggle. He wasn't all happy, dancy when that was going on. But there was something deeper. And it's this joy set before him. And, 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 and that's the motivation. Whatever it is, is the motivation that allowed him to endure the pain and the shame of the cross. And so you, you think about it maybe, and I, I think, well, you know, was it, was it sitting at the right hand of the throne of God? Was that what was motivating him? Was it um, being restored to glory? Was that what motivated him? And, and I don't think it was because, see, he had those things before he came. You can read the scripture and see that he, was, he had all that before he came and took on flesh and, and became a human. So, so you may have to look at the reason that he did that. The reason that he stepped out of, of glory and took on flesh and, and lived among us um, uh, was, was to gain something that he didn't already have. So he already had in, you know, relationship with the Father. He already had all those things. So he came to gain something that he didn't have. And, and, and that something was the reason he went to the cross. And, and it was his mission. To, to gain something that he didn't already have. And that something that he wanted to gain was you. See, you're the reason. You're the joy set before him. You are the joy set before him. You're you it. He gained you by enduring the cross. And that's what he wanted, was you, all along. And so, um, because, see, you've got to let that stuff sink in all the time. Because he takes such great joy in you, such great joy that he endured the cross for you, we're to find our joy in him as well. That's what that looks like as we stop and think about what he did for us, no matter what's going on and when, what that means. So, the, so Paul, in thinking that, you know, he, he writes, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. And that's what he calls us to. Watch out for the trap of legalism in your life. Keep a close eye on your priorities. And above all, get to know Christ better. Because that's where you experience a joy-filled life. Amen? Amen. If you're watching by television or video, thank you for watching. We're glad you chose to spend your time with us. We do know how valuable your time is. And uh, if there's anything we can do, call us or write us. We'll be happy to do whatever we can. But we're going to close here tonight with prayer.